1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5. It begins the same way that it ends, and uh, this is what our text will be today. Beginning in verse 1, let me read this through and then we'll go ahead and get started. Listen to what it says. Chapter 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Jesus is the Son of God? May God bless the reading of his word today. Beginning there in verse 1, um, let's start there with that. And I have to explain to you the, the ground for this, these verses that John continues to reiterate in this uh, book. Listen to what it says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Has been born of God. Now this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. David's got me some water. Thank you, David. This is, don't smile about it. (laughs) This is the question that we have to ask ourselves. How does this apply then to them? How does it apply then to them? When any time we read scripture... How does it apply then to them, and how does it apply now to us? How does it apply now to us? Because some things that the early church might have struggled with, we may not necessarily be struggling with today, but it still is apply and how. And so that's what we have to look at, and so we're going to break this down. John, right here in verse 1, comes right out of the gate in chapter 5 with a very in-your-face verse for the Gnostics and the early believers. Very in-your-face verse. And you say, well, Brother Matthew, that doesn't seem like that's that big of a deal what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You're just stating a fact. No, I'm stating much more than just a mere fact. Uh, the, the early church was, was bombarded with the Gnostic uh, teachings. And so what he is saying here speaks volumes It speaks volumes because the early church truly believed that Jesus Christ truly was flesh and bone and blood. The early church believed that. The Gnostics did not. And so when John tells us everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, he is speaking volumes. He is saying that this was the anointed one, the Messiah, that this was the one that they had believed on, that, the, that Moses and the prophets had been speaking about for so long. He actually did, in fact, come in the flesh. He actually did, in fact, die and raise again the third day. He actually was flesh and bone and blood, and he still is today. And so the statement that is made here in verse 1 speaks volumes. It speaks volumes to the early church, and it's going to speak volumes to us here in just, just a moment. The Gnostics, if you remember, they did not believe that Jesus was flesh and blood and bone, but a spirit. John tells us here that he's real, that those that believe Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, 
that these have been born again. Born again with the incorruptible seed of the Spirit. So how does this opening verse apply to us now? I'm going to give you a couple of different ways it applies to us. Because we don't have a lot of that. It was called docetism. And the Gnostics came up with it. We don't have a lot of that per se today. But we do have some other things when it comes to salvation that we like to try to add or take away from in today's modern age. And so you see that, that the truth still stands, but we have to adjust to it. Not, we, don't, we don't make things up like a lot of people have. The truth still stands, and so we're going to see how that applies uh, to us today. Everybody follow me. Does everybody understand that this is a direct slam on the Gnostics in the early church? Everybody believe that? This, okay, so now how does it apply to us? First, just as it did then. Just as it did then. We're going to take the same text and it's going to apply to us in the same exact way. Jesus Christ did come in the flesh. He was not some spirit, some, some vision that you would see. He actually did come in the flesh. The Son of God. He was very much God, but yet he was very much man. He was born of a virgin named Mary. He was born under the law to redeem us from our sins. And so those that believe in Christ Jesus are born again. And this is what we have to understand. So it applies the very same way. But now let's go for a little bit different, a little bit different. Let's address an issue for today's age using this passage of Scripture and see how it applies. Ministers for years, from the time that I was a little boy till even now, and I, and I think that the Lord, through the work of ministry, is making great strides with a more pure doctrine in when it comes to uh, regeneration, when it comes to being born again. But however, for years and for years, it, was, it's, it has been taught, and I've heard it taught. People have been teaching that all you have to do is believe. Well, if we look at the text and see that, that is true. That is true. If we were believing in teaching the whole counsel of God. Let me explain to you what I mean. Let me explain it and just bear with me. For doctrinal reasons, for whatever, for doctrinal reasons, I believe that they leave off this. They leave off the fact that those that do believe, believe because the Lord has already begun a work in that person's heart. Last week we read 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. This morning we read it up here while we were singing. We spoke about it. We sang about it. Listen to what it says. We love him because he first loved us. Today the gospel has been castrated in such a way that we leave off the work of God and what the spirit of God does in someone's life and says whoever wants to be saved just come do it. That's not salvation. Now let me explain this to you. The reason why it's different from the early church is because the early church knew that if they believed in Jesus Christ, they could have their head taken off for it. The church today, we just use it flippantly. You see the difference? So when they believed then, it really meant something. Today we have to ask the question, 
okay, is this just a get out of hell free card? Or do I truly love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I truly believe who he says he is? And so that's how it applies. It's not just about believing and you say, well, I want to believe. I don't want to go to hell. Well, I believe. Well, the demons do too. Remember? Remember when they cried out to Jesus and they said, no, don't do away with us. Cast us into the swine. Those demons believed who Jesus was, who he was. They believed in the power that he had. But they'll burn in hell one day. They'll be locked down there for all eternity. So the demons believe and they even tremble. But we have to understand that there's another side to that. And so often that other side is not preached. And it's the reason why we can believe and the reason why we can love and the reason why we can trust by faith in the living God is because he first loved us. And without that origin, without that start, without the spark, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. So today, when presenting one side of the gospel, it's also, important to pre- it's also important to present the other side, which is the work of God in a person's life. So often, that is left out. In the New Testament church, in the early church, that was not left out. It was taught. People believed it. It was not left out. And so we can't leave it out either. We can't be sharing some weak, weak, half-baked gospel to say, well, you just believe in Jesus and boom, there you go, you're going to heaven. We have to understand that it's that it comes from a love for him that came from him. And so that's how it applies to us now. Let's move on. Verse 1. So according to verse 1, those that believe Jesus is the Christ and that there is no other way to the Father, that he is the only one. Those are the ones that are born of God. Let me give you, let me tell you a story really quick. And Casey heard this the other day and I'm going to tell it to you today. Um, Y'all know that I have a grapevine. I've sent you pictures of it. And the the whole reason I bought it was to teach me about John chapter 15. Because I think that a a visual application or a visual example is the best way to learn something. Personally for me. Some people hear, some people see. I see and that's how I learn is by seeing and also by hearing. Uh, My ears are good. I like to hear but also by seeing. And, And so I have this grapevine for that reason. And I cut off. I cut off. This year, I groomed it all, cut it all the way back as close as I could possibly get it to the vine. And I said, I'll do one of two things. I'm going to cut it back and I'll kill it. Or it'll do what the Bible tells me it'll do. And it'll bring forth a lot of fruit. It'll bring forth a lot of fruit. So I took this vine and I, I put it through a test. And I took it and and I cut it back and sure enough, it produced fruit. It did. Every place where I cut it back, there's a sprig this long and on the end of it, there's a cluster of grapes. 
Every place where I cut it now, every single place. You can, in case you'll, you can show, I can show it to you. You can go out there and look at it. But then I got to notice, and there was another vine. Another vine. And see, here's where the clutch of the text comes in at. Because we have to believe that Jesus is the only way. He, he is the only way between God and man. And so there was this other vine, and I began to notice that this other vine, I began to trace it. I started looking at these branches that didn't have anything but leaves on them, and I was like, wait a second, I cut all of this back. Every bit of it I cut back. Why are these not, why, why don't they have any fruit on them? So I began to trace those back to their vine. And I traced it all the way down to the ground and lo and behold, it was two different vines. And I told Casey, I said, I said, this will do one of two things. It'll kill the entire plant or it'll make it stronger. And so I went all the way down to the ground and the one vine that was as long as the other vine that was as pretty as the other vine, but just didn't have any fruit on it. I took my shears and I cut it as low to the ground as I possibly could. Because I believe the Bible to be true. That there is but one way to the Father, and that is through the Son, Jesus Christ. There's only one, one, one way. There's only one way to produce fruit. And that's by faith in the Son of God. And that's it. And so I took that vine and I cut it out of there. And I take, brought Casey outside and I showed it to her and I said, look at this. And she said, what is it? And I said, this was the other vine that was growing right next to it. It came out of the ground right next to it. I said, I don't know if it was with it. I don't know if, how it happened, but it produced nothing. It produced nothing. I said, so I cut it out. Verse 1, here we have everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. That is believing that he is the only way that he came in the flesh, that he was truly and still is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Verse 2, listen to what it says. Or the second part of the verse, verse 1. Bear with me. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. This is the test. You want to hear it? Let's see if we have eternal life. As believing, born-again Christians, the Scriptures teach us that if we are born again, we will love other born-again believers. Do you see that? And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. That means we will love other believers. This means loving the body of Christ. And where do we love the body of Christ at? I'm going to give you a couple of places. We love the body of Christ first and foremost as always in our home. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he instituted the marriage there between Adam and Eve in their home first. 
And so it is absolutely critical and important that the husband and the wife love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should, we should love him with everything that we have. And it should start in the home, loving one another. The second place that we see that this love should be seen is in the local assembly, in the church, the bride of Christ. We know that the bride is global, it's all, it's all over the world, but we express our love for the bride, where at? In the local assembly. It was set up and designed for that very thing, for us to come, for us to be refreshed, to learn, to be reproved of sin and all of these different things. But where do we love at? Where do we, where do we love the brethren at? We love them in our own home first. And then we also love them in the church. And it's very difficult to do that if you don't come. I said it. It is very difficult to love your brothers and sisters in Christ if you don't go to church. Period. If you don't have a love for them, if there is not a drawing for you to be here, if there is not a drawing for you to love the Lord and not a drawing for you to love those that are called out and have been separated and called according to His purpose, you have a problem in your own heart. Plain and simple. So we have the first is the home. The second we have is the church and it really stops at that. But we can even go on further and say third out in the world among other believers. Among other believers. So take the test. It says, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. The home, the church locally, and out in the world among other believers. Verse 2. By this, we know. What does it mean to know? Certainty. Fully persuaded. By this, we have a certainty. We are fully persuaded that we Love the children of God. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments. So he, he takes it one step further and he says, Do you want to know if you love the brethren? Do you want to know if you truly love those that are born again? Do you want to take the test and, and truly understand that if it's in you or not? He says this, By this we know that we love the children of God, which was mentioned at the end of verse 1. And he says, how do we know this? When we love God and obey His commandments. We can be sure if we truly if we love truly God's people or not. Which shows if we're, if we're truly in the faith or not. And John tells us here, this is a surefire way, is by loving God and His 
word. See, if we're loving God first, pay attention. If we're loving God first and obeying his word first, then we will love the brethren, the bride of Christ. Listen to what King David says in Psalms 119. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. I love this passage. I love all the passages. Who am I kidding? Um, but if you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 119. Loving the brethren, first and foremost, starts with loving God's, the Lord and His Word. This fits like a glove in this text. It truly does. Listen to what it says in Psalms 119, which is all about God's Word and, and David loving, loving the law of God. Remember, verse 2, what did it say? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. We love God and obey His commandments. Listen to what King David says here in Psalms 119. 57 through 64. Keying in on 57 and 63. Listen to what it says. The Lord is my portion. You reckon he loves the Lord? For you to say something is your portion, that means you are in love with that thing. He is saying the Lord is my portion. He is saying I love the Lord. And then he says this, I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. You see how quickly his love for the Lord spills over in doing the things that the Lord asks him to do instantaneously. And this is exactly what John is telling us in the New Testament. This is what he says. When I think on my ways, on my ways, my evil ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. He says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. 53. I am a companion You want to know if you love the brethren? You have to love the Lord and the Word of God. He says, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. He says, I am a companion. I am a fellow with them. In other words, I have fellowship with those that love you too and that keep your commandments. And so you see what John is saying is true. What John is saying in, in, in 1 John chapter 5 is that if you want to know if you have a true love for the brethren in the church, there will be evidence that you love God first and love His law, His word. That will show you if you have a real, true love for the brethren. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. In other words, we don't grieve in the fact that we have to keep God's word. 
Doesn't say that his word is not hard. Doesn't say that we won't struggle and it won't be easy. But it's not a burden for us to keep God's word. That we'll love it and that we'll seek after it. And we'll be like that tree in Psalms 1 that's planted by the rivers of water. That'll produce its fruit in the season and its leaf won't wither. And whatever do it will prosper. This is the love of God that was keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. David again in Psalms 119.35 tells me, Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. David had a delight for the Word of God. He delighted in it. He loved it. And all through the book of Psalms, David speaks about how he loves the Word. It wasn't burdensome at all. The way of the Gnostics, that was burdensome. The way of the Old Testament law and the ceremonial law and the keepings of the law and all of that, them trying to justify themselves by the workings of the law, that is burdensome. But the way of God's grace, not burdensome at all. Not burdensome at all. Verse 4, listen to what it says. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. And so how do we overcome? By what? Faith. By faith. We are victorious over the world, over its loves and its vices and all its worldly treasures. The enemy that the world, the enemies that the world breeds out by faith. We have the power to be victorious over them, to subdue them. That's what it means to place them under our feet. As Jesus ultimately will one day with all wickedness and sin and demons and wicked people. We have the power now to place and be victorious and place it under our feet. To overcome and subdue that which comes against us. There is victory in Jesus. The old timers used to sing a song. Oh, victory in Jesus. We don't sing it much anymore. But let me tell you something. There is victory in Jesus when we believe by faith that he is who he says he is. We can be victorious over anything that comes our way. But it is not possible without faith. It's not. By faith we are joined to Christ. Listen to me. By faith we are joined to Christ and are in opposition to the world. This is how we overcome the world. By faith we love the Lord and loving the Lord means hating the world and all it offers. You see that there's a difference here. By faith, when we, when we yoke up with the Lord by faith, there's something that happens. There's an enmity that starts from us to the world. 
We don't have that love for it anymore. Our affections and our attitudes and everything change towards God and also changes towards sin. By faith we are victorious in the spirit by killing the deeds of the flesh and subduing or quenching any arrow that is shot at us. Let me explain that to you. By faith, by faith we can subdue the deeds of this worldly flesh. The desires of it, the lusts of it, everything that comes at you from this, we can subdue it. By faith. Because we have that incorruptible seed dwelling within us. It is possible to overcome. It is possible to and beat everything that is shot at you, even if it comes from your own flesh. You have to believe that by faith. Or you won't be victorious. You just won't. You have to walk in it or you're not going to be victorious. It's called walking by faith. There is no weapon formed against us that will prosper when we walk by faith. David conquered Goliath because he walked by faith. You go all the way back to the beginning and you see it. Adam and Eve passing that on to Abel who brought a more righteous sacrifice than his brother Cain. And then the lineage of Seth, all the way up into Noah, where there was eight souls that were saved. And they did this by preparing an ark for the saving of the soul by faith. Enoch walked with God by faith for 300 years. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Even Sarah, who was 90 years old, her womb was dead. Her uterus and her eggs, everything were dried up and were gone, dead. But by faith, they were restored, and she had strength to conceive Isaac by faith. See, faith is a very powerful agent. By faith we receive refuge and strength to overcome the world, to beat it, to win. One victory at a time. One victory at a time. Let me give you some advice when it comes to winning victories. Start in your own life, not somebody else's. We have enough battles in our own life, in our own flesh, in our own walk with Christ Jesus that we ain't got no business meddling in somebody else's battles. Unless that person asks you for help in that battle, you pray for them and you stay out of their business. We got enough battles here and today, right now, in our own flesh, coming against us to contend with. And if you're not walking by faith, you're not going to beat them. Plain and simple. By faith, because we're joined to Christ, by faith we're able to see our heavenly home, which causes us to strive more. It does me. I don't know about you. It causes me to strive more and to work harder to win for the Lord while we are here. It causes me to hold on to things loosely while we're here. Understanding that we're sojourners, pilgrims, passer-throughers, passer-buyers, whatever you want to call it. This is not our home. You never see Abraham building a house. Because he lived in tents. Because he looked for a city that was not made with hands. And he did that by faith. 
By faith, we, by faith we are overcomers. By faith no weapon. Even death itself cannot beat us. Amen. By faith. Amen. By faith we believe that even though our bones may turn to powder in the ground, Jesus will return and we will see him as he is. We will rise victoriously. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four corners of the, for the, from the, four corners of the earth from one end of heaven to the other. We will be raised up victorious and it's all because of faith in the Son of God. The one that came in the flesh, he truly did do it. He came in the flesh and he'd done it for us, wicked sinners. By faith, these things will happen. Listen to what it says. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? He ends this section just as he started the section. It is true. Jesus is the Son of God. Real flesh, real bone. He ate with the disciples after he raised. He walked with them. He talked with Cleopas and his, and his buddy on the road to Emmaus. He was seen by over 500 witnesses. He was real. Not just some angel. Flesh and bone. The Messiah. The Son of God. The Christ. And those that believe in Him, because of Him we have eternal life. Because of Him, by faith, we are victorious. And because of Him, by faith, we have a glorious home. And it's called heaven. Well, there will be no more tears. No more crying. No more sadness. Everything will be wiped away. We will need no lights because the Lamb will be the lamp in the midst, shining out brightly. We'll know who He is. So as we close this morning, as we have looked at 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5, the section ends just as it starts, which is this. Those who believe, those who believe, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Let's pray. Father, today we come to you.